BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite lore cast on the Citadel. Welcome to the Mass Effect Lorecast, the podcast where we explore the vast universe of lore behind the Mass Effect games. We'll talk about all the details you may have missed, ask the hard questions, and more. Welcome back, everybody, to the Mass Effect Lorecast. This is your host, Tom, or Robots, and I'm here with my good buddy, Sam and Seven Legend who just celebrated a big old stream thing in a giveaway. Sam, I, I saw that that was pretty awesome. Yeah, that's right. Um, so the winner of the giveaway decided that they wanted uh, something different. And uh, so, but yeah, I just uh, sent the order for the winner of the giveaway and the stream was, it went wildly uh, successful, I think. And it turns out that a lot of people, A, uh, like watching Mass Effect, and uh, uh-huh. B, are also interested in Mass Effect gear, Mass Effect stuff. Imagine that. So. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah. Who would have guessed? Works. Well, so, okay. So let's talk about the show today. Um, I know that last week we, we received some, uh, some really good feedback about the episode. Um, you know, I mean, it was tragic learning about Joker's sister and dad and all of that. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, go back and listen to it. There's some really cool stuff that Sam dug up about what potentially happened uh, to Joker's family. Um, but we're moving on today. We're back to kind of a, that was kind of a side bonus kind of episode. We're back to the normal episodes. What are we talking about today, Sam? Yeah, so we did. We did uh, get some positive feedback uh, last uh, about that last episode. And uh, I heard from at least two people that it was their favorite episode that we've ever done. Wow. Do you think maybe so, it was all like the clips and stuff? It's always fun to hear stuff from the games. Yeah, I think w- w- weaving the uh, media in there probably helped. Um, but it was also a, a big storytelling episode, I think. So mm-hmm. that, that also helped. Um, but, you know, this week, you know, it was certainly something that I think even a lot of other Mass Effect, season, well-seasoned Mass Effect players had not heard before last week. But that's not going to be the case this week, because this week we are returning to the sensational starship, the frigate that's friggin' awesome, the Normandy SR2. Uh, we, already, we already did an episode on the Normandy I know, I know. Uh, but we discussed the Normandy SR-1, and actually... Uh, <laughs> actually, everybody. <laughs> actually, uh, we are going to be talking about the SR-2. And by the way, I I realized that we forgot to mention where the SSV and SR come from in the name SSV Normandy SR-1. It stands for Systems Alliance Space Vehicle, and the SR is Stealth Reconnaissance. That makes sense. So, you know, while the SSV Normandy SR-1 was quite the amazing prototype, it was destroyed when collectors hit Shepard with a surprise attack in the beginning of Mass Effect 2. So we've got to cover now the new model that Cerberus had built. And to be fair, 
the SR2 had even better upgrades to the original ship. And that's why when it becomes the Normandy SR2, it's a Cerberus ship. So it doesn't have SSV in front of the name. Um, as Jacob Taylor, the armor officer uh, on the Normandy said, on the Normandy SR2 said, the SR2 made a good ship better. Yeah, I remember it feeling a lot bigger in Mass Effect 2. I mean, it's clearly not exactly the same ship. So, uh, so what did they add to it? As I mentioned, the Elusive Man had this ship built specifically for Shepard to take down the Collectors. And I'm guessing probably to preserve as much as they could of Shepard and who they are, including the setting in which they saved the galaxy one time already, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it makes sense, I think. Because if you're an employer and you had this really great performer named Shepard uh, who did their best work in a certain part of the office, uh, but that part got destroyed, <laughs> so, let's say from fire sprinklers going, going haywire. Uh, so when they came back to work, you have to have that part of the office rebuilt as best as you can. Makes sense. I mean, highly unlikely, but makes sense. <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's like it's more like if you had like a vp at your company uh -huh. and i don't know like maybe maybe they had a sink or something in their office for some reason right they're like the bars over there and like my window looking out into the the park next doors right here and like all that stuff needs to be in the right place for them to feel comfortable in right. the space again yeah they had a sewage main explode and it just went <laughs> through the office <laughs> these pictures are wonderful <laughs> you're painting yeah. van gogh's in our in my mind oh yeah i'm quite the impressionist um <laughs> <laughs> um anyway as as good or, or crappy as that analogy may be um that is that is kind of what <laughs> literally happens, crappy <laughs> literally <laughs> crappy yeah <laughs> um <laughs> That that is what happens with um, Cerberus and, and Shepard, and it, has, it actually um, I just remembered that it kind of relates to this real world theory called state dependency theory. Um, it turns out that the reason why teachers have us sit in the same spots all the time isn't just to keep track of us uh -huh. and to know our names. It's also there's some there's some research behind it that when students learn a certain thing in a certain place they can recall that thing better when they are in that place. Right. Or in a physical state. So like if you are somebody who drinks coffee in the morning, then make sure you drink coffee in the morning, both when you're learning something. And then also when you go take the test, like yes. being physically in the same environment and physically in the same state, like you're saying state dependency both. Yeah, that's absolutely a thing. My wife used to talk about that. She's a scientist. <laughs> like she's oh, okay. she, when she would study for things in when she was doing her doctorate, she was like, I'm you know, I got to drink my coffee and then I got to take my coffee in the morning before the test and like make sure everything's the same. Yeah. 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 It's uh, it's it's controlling the variables. Um, so, yeah. And, and I think that would make sense why the elusive man, um, as questionable as he is, seems to have a scientific mind. And I think he would he wouldn't he would understand that we should make this this state dependency as consistent as possible for Shepard if we want to replicate the awesomeness right uh, right that is Shepard so but um, there are some changes though like the same but different same same but different uh yeah so <laughs> basically this is this is of course uh the Normandy SR2 it's where Shepard resumes their galaxy-saving quest by leading Cerberus's Lazarus cell. And yeah, isn't that interesting? Like, I never thought of it like that. But technically, Shepard is a Cerberus cell leader in Mass Effect 2. Mm -hmm. And the cell is the crew of the Normandy, which is technically the cell's headquarters. Yeah, yeah. That's super weird to me because I never considered it like, oh, well, like, I guess my headcanon for my Shepard was always that they were that he reluctantly went along with things that he wasn't like gung-ho like i'm a i'm a cell leader in cerberus and this right, is my right. official time. well he does, he never says that right like he never like oh, i'm gonna call from anderson i'm gonna remind him that i'm now a cell leader for cerberus like yeah it kind of seems like shepherd is constantly forced to renounce their partnership with cerberus at any turn right. justify um, it renounce it Kinda, right you know um, do a funny little dance it's fine I, they don't control me i'm in i'm in control here 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. Heads up. If you ever have to say that, chances are you probably aren't. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but uh, yeah, it was just interesting to me when I was researching this that there was literally a name for the cell that Shepard was leading against the, the collectors called the Lazarus cell. Mm-hmm. Um, but Which makes sense. The Lazarus, he was resurrected. It's kind of right. on the nose. Yeah. So, so Shepard was resurrected, but of course the Normandy was too, kind of, not really. Uh, I mean, remade from the ground up in the same image of the other. I mean, they're both in a, in a way resurrected. Um, and for anybody who doesn't know the call out Lazarus was from the new Testament, Jesus resurrected Lazarus after Lazarus. He couldn't get to him before he died and was brought back from the dead. Right. Right. And, um, also some strong bionic man uh, vibes, too. We can rebuild him mm. better, faster, mm-hmm. stronger than he ever was before. Um, so you you remember how expensive we said the SR-1 was Yeah. for the Alliance. I think, if I remember correctly, 120 billion credits. Right. The equivalent of like 10 coffees at a Starbucks today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or... or um, like a, I don't know, a Frappuccino and one of their uh, overpriced breakfast sandwiches. What's right. up with that? Seriously. I mean, I think everything's going up in price lately, but, you know. What's the deal with airplane food? <laughs> right. <laughs> All of a sudden this turns into Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That That was my, that was my um, lackluster <laughs> Seinfeld impression. I told you I was an impressionist. <laughs> uh, yeah, yes. <laughs> you did. Oh, man. The jokes are just like, just merging together at this point. <laughs> yeah, they're very, very interwoven at this point. Um, well, anyway, on the note of it being expensive for the Alliance uh, and, and how it took all that work and ingenuity from both the Alliance and the Turians, well, the SR-2 was apparently even costlier. Even though they developed it based off of schematics from the original Normandy, which, by the way, how did they get those? I mean, it's Cerberus. Uh, nefarious ways? Like Most nefariously, likely. is that a word? Certainly unsavory tactics, I yeah, would imagine. I would, um, I would think so. And it would make sense. I mean, it's a bigger ship. So, yeah. Yeah. And the, and the original one was blown to bits and a lot of it disintegrated when it was entering Alcara's atmosphere. Um, so the Alliance definitely had to have visited that site, the crash site, and scrubbed it for all the classified data. So either... Uh, so basically, they either got the designs because the elusive man and Cerberus got to the crash site first and happened to find a terminal in well enough working order to recover the entire ship's blueprints from it. Or they had someone on the inside in the alliance beforehand. Yeah. Or maybe both. Or both. They might they um, might have been able to get some info from the crash site and then also corroborate it with info they got from inside the alliance through connections. It totally makes sense. They, they could have. It could have been a combination of those things. Yes. Um, But, okay, about the specific uh, differences in the Normandy. The first and largest thing I think anyone would notice is that the SR-2 is twice the size of the original stealth ship. I mean, you already mentioned it, that that it felt bigger. Mm -hmm. It's literally double the size. So, yeah, you could say that. Um, How big is the SR-2? How big Uh, is it? How big is it? According to the art director, Derek Watts, it is 170 meters long. That's, for our American friends, 557 feet. Wow. Okay. So it's like a almost, what, two football fields? Yeah, it's like a, a football field and a half. Yeah. Um, yeah. And for our European friends, that's the same measurement in soccer pitches. <laughs> okay. There you go. That's that's. That's significant. That's a large ship. Yeah. You know, our European friends are going to hear that, 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 oh, it's 1.5 football fields in length and be like, Americans really will use anything but the metric system. Yeah. Which I posted about today on Twitter. And I was like, I saw that. I'd be fine with us. The joke was, uh, once the boomers are all dead, maybe then we can switch to the metric system, everyone. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. I'm cool. Anybody else? Um, Okay. So, but okay. With it being that much larger, that means it needs even more power, right? Like that was a big deal with the SR1 was the power requirements yeah that's right and so here's how the sr2 gets around for primary propulsion outside of ftl travel 
it uses antiproton thrusters. Antiprotons are in, and this this next part is directly from the codex explaining how these antiproton thrusters work. Think of them like the jets at the back of the Normandy. Right. Uh, antiprotons are injected into a reaction chamber filled with hydrogen. The resulting antimatter annihilation provides unmatched motive power. The exhaust of antiproton drives is measured in millions of degrees Celsius. Any vessel caught behind them will melt like wax in a blowtorch. So, okay, so if you know anything about science with like protons and antiprotons, this is like antimatter and antimatter, right? The two things cancel each other out, but they also release energy when they do so. They're using that energy in order to create thrust, which comes out at millions of degrees, millions of degrees. That's pretty hot. Yeah, dude, I bet this thing gets like zero to 60 in like point oh 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 one second. It literally takes negative time. It it's, was already there. <laughs> it goes back in time in order to, to speed up. Also, man, the whiplash. Whew. Make sure if you're strapped into your the, seats. If it affected the mass at the same time <laughs> and it affected it enough, it literally would take negative time. <laughs> um, That's intense. But... You know, uh, remember how we commented on how big and cutting edge the Tantalus drive core in the SR-1 was? Mm -hmm. Uh, How Joker said it was this beast and threw off the balance, but ultimately he could handle it. Well, the SR-2's drive core is almost three times the size of the original drive core. Which was already massive. Right, three times. So now it's three times the size. And even though the ship is two times the size, the new drive core is three times the size. But that makes sense because power equations aren't always linear, you know, thanks mm-hmm. to entropy. A lot of power is lost to heat and different things like that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, like, yes. In fact, I wouldn't have been surprised if you said like four times the size because things, a cubic movement rather than a, uh, I don't know what the other one is, square. Linear. A linear yeah. movement, yeah. Um, increase in power. So three times seems seems reasonable for what little I know about engineering and power and i i had i think i had commented on that uh last time we were talking about the normandy where I, when i said you know it wouldn't surprise me if it it required exponentially more power mm-hmm. and i wasn't quite sure but then i confirmed it when i was researching for this episode it is it does require exponentially more power but i digress you may be wondering how the drive core gets its power well the short answer is a nuclear fusion reaction and it does require ESO, of course. Uh, but there is a new nuclear fusion reactor in the ship as well. And in the event that, that it goes down, there are hydrogen fuel cells that can be used to power essential functions. And if those go down, they've got like 100,000 little rodents on treadmills. Yes. And that's where mm-hmm. Shepard's space hamster comes from. Right. Yeah. Different kinds of variety of rodents. Hamsters. Yeah. Mice. Rats. He just... Yeah, Shepard just snagged one from the hamster wheel and said, you're mine now. This one's mine. I like this one. It's spunky. Everyone else was like, that's kind of weird, but do you, man? All right. And if we don't happen to get enough power, that's on you, buddy. Yeah. We, we, we lack the one wheel, one rodent wheel worth of power to get out of the situation. Shepard! Commander, we're going down. <laughs> Commander, we're going down. We, we need the space hamster. <laughs> we... Bring quick, get the space hamster out of out of Shepard's apartment. Quick, we're not going to make it. <laughs> you, someone has to sneak up there. I'm not going to be the one to tell the commander that we need the hamster. <laughs> that can be you. Yeah. it's not going to be me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's they have a nuclear fusion reactor. Um, and uh, remember those fuel cell upgrades that you can get from Samara or I guess if you're a psycho and recruited Morinth. <laughs> what? I mean, I, I recruited <laughs> Fine. Uh, yes. Yes. I was curious what they actually do when it comes to the science of the series. And it turns out that it uses a fuel that burns at a far better efficiency than the standard H2O2 mix that it uses. And it, and uh, I'll spare the technical dif- the technical uh, explanations, but basically, it means the ship uses less antiprotons to get around. Yes, ah, uh, that's what I would have um, said too. 
So it's like it's like changing out um, the engine and exhaust components from a, a car built in the 80s with one built now. You're going to get a lot better miles per gallon. Yeah. Efficiency increases. So, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. But this huge increase in size also creates a problem for the SR2's maneuverability. Uh, you remember how we said frigates are the largest ships still able to land planet side? Mm-hmm. Well, we see Joker use the SR1 to land on or approach planet sides on a couple of different occasions. Eden Prime, Vermeer, Ilos. But have you ever wondered why we don't see that in the SR2? You ever wonder or ask why that ugly cockroach looking shuttle <laughs> is now necessary at all? Because it is such an affront to the eyes. <laughs> <laughs> this is why. Um, the SR2 is just too large to land planet side. So. Yeah. Yeah. And and may, maybe we'll have to do an episode on that on the UT-47 Kodiak shuttle. Yeah. Um, yeah. Once you get to, you know, football field and a half size ships, the aerodynamics on that seem a lot more sketchy. Right. Yeah, and, and, and that's the thing, like, when we had talked about the Normandy the first time, we went over exactly what is a frigate, and part of the defining feature of frigates was that they were smaller than cruisers, enough to the point where they could land planetside, and I had seen someone in the uh, the Mass Effect Lorecast channel on the Robots Radio Discord had brought up that, you know, is the Normandy SR2 still considered a frigate and it is considered a frigate but i heard them out because basically they were saying it's large enough that it cannot land planet side Mm -hmm. it has impressive armaments that are that we'll talk about in the second half of this episode uh its armaments are so impressive that they're worthy of being called a cruiser Hmm. uh i wonder if it's one of those like weird things especially because it was manufactured by not somebody who was part of the original organization that uses those classifications that it somehow is moved into this kind of middle space where like it doesn't have an official designation but if you actually looked at the details maybe it is more in line with a cruiser at this point and a lot of the a lot of the changes that Cerberus made when they made it bigger a lot of those changes were just due to livability and comfortability factors, right. which, of course, the military isn't concerned with. The military is concerned with efficiency, speed, and getting the biggest bang for their buck. So it's not surprising that I think Tally says in the first game, it's amazing you shoved such a huge drive core into a compact space. Like, mm-hmm. yes, they were trying to make this the ship as small as possible. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, OK, yeah. cool. Cool interesting stuff and um i guess maybe we'll have to do an episode on the ut-47 kodiak yeah at some point i think that there's i think there's enough science behind it maybe it'll maybe it'll warrant one of those bonus episodes that we've been doing yeah awesome well it's time for a mid-break and we're gonna take a minute to go thank our patrons and then we'll then we'll be back to talk about more of the uh, armaments and other details about the sr2 so don't go anywhere I am so excited about our sponsor this week, Marvel Strike Force. I freaking love Marvel Comics. Growing up, I collected comics and the trading cards, and I've seen pretty much every Marvel movie they've made so far. So if you're into Marvel like I am, go check out Marvel Strike Force. This is a mobile squad RPG. You can collect and unlock all the different heroes. You fight against supervillains. There's a campaign. There's a blitz mode. There's an arena. There's a constantly evolving meta. And right now they're celebrating the Deadpool anniversary event. This is a mission from Strike where you log in the first time and you unlock this generous gift containing character shards, a anniversary diamond orb gear a bunch of other items it is absolutely the right time to jump in and try this game out click the link in the show notes to download it now and then use the promo code maxpool m-a-x-p-o-o-l maxpool don't miss out on all the free stuff and thanks again to marvel strike force for sponsoring this episode 
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Message coming in. Patching it through. I am sovereign, and this station is mine. I like the sound of that. All right, here we are in the middle of the show, and we get to thank our newest patron, Bonesies. Bonesies? Is that how you pronounce it? Am I saying this right, Sam? I think so. I think it's Bonesies. That's, that's how I read it anyway, but bon- thank you, Bonesies. Bonesies. I totally goofed that. Thank you so much for signing up on the Patreon, and thank you to all of our other patrons for being here. I think we thanked Rain last time, did we not? I believe not so. Not sure, but... Rain. No harm in two thanks. Double thanks, just in case. Um, but then we've got, let's see, oh man, we've got a bunch of shepherds to call out. Kolka Shins, Captain Shanko, Kira, Lieutenant Tosino, Pipe Man, Rain, and Big Bills. Thank you so much for being our Tier 5 Shepherd Tier patrons. And a reminder to everybody who is Tier 4 or higher that next week, and it's the 20th right now as we record this, so the 27th at 10 30 p.m eastern is our patron show our chat show so if you're able to join us we'd love to have you on if you're tier four or higher if you aren't yet a tier four or higher and you'd like to either sign up or upgrade to join us next week we'll be doing that as well i i'm not sure that we've decided a topic yet sometimes there's some chat that goes on about this i i don't know that we've landed on one yet but uh who knows if you want to jump in there please feel free to throw out some ideas we'd love to hear what you guys want to discuss and um, see you guys next week. And then we also have a rating and a review or two new reviews to read. And oh, before I say that, where you can sign up is patreon.com slash Mass Effect Lorecast. So go check it out. See all the different stuff you can get. And then our reviews. We've got two new ones that came in, but we're going to hold those for the next episode because we're going to knock out a second episode this week uh, as we record these. So stay tuned for that. Um, Anything else you want to say before we move back to the rest of the show, Sam? Um, just that I've been I've been keeping up with uh, how many ratings that we've been getting on Spotify and subscri- subscriptions we've been getting on YouTube. And uh, if anyone wants to help us out and you don't, you know, you don't uh, have the funds to put toward a Patreon, that's totally okay. Like we've said, word of mouth immensely helps. And if you're okay with doing something as simple as clicking a button, please leave a rating on Spotify and subscribe on YouTube. Because when we hit those 1,000 subscriptions on YouTube, we can actually monetize. Yes. Yeah. And YouTube does this thing, or at least seems, I, I know they were going to do this thing. I haven't confirmed if they do it yet, where they're going to put ads on videos from channels that even aren't hitting monetization yet so by helping us get there it means that we at least get a little bit of cut of the ads if they show up so we would appreciate that but we'd also love you having and you know have you as a part of the community and able to see our physical faces because we're the most handsome guys you've ever seen and we don't want to we don't want to keep that from anyone Lots of smart people are saying that. Very smart people. Mm-hmm. All the smart people. Well, the smartest yeah. people with the best tastes are telling us that we are the most handsome people on the internet. No one speaks in a hyperbole like me. Yeah. Spit it out, or are you trying to build suspense? You're so dense, sir. Obviously, I do not know as much about human relationships as I thought. I don't know where that transition came from out of nowhere, but it seems like we're back to the rest of the show. 
Uh, so, Sam, what other upgrades did Cerberus make to the SR1? A few notable ones, not the least of which was a faster elevator. Thank fuck. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I want a mod that just mods in the girl from Ipanema as the elevator music every time you're in an elevator and forces the elevator to last the entire duration of the song. <laughs> Can you remind me what song that is again? It goes... Oh my god, no. <laughs> Some of those elevator rides might, may as well be that. Um, yeah, it is the the Bossa Nova song. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, so yes. we've all we've all heard it. You've all uh, heard it. It's been it's everywhere. So, um, you know, a few a few notable upgrades, um, notable changes, I should say, because the worst of which, in my opinion, was no more Mako. Sad face. There was no more Mako. No more Mako. SR2. And some people were okay with that. But I mean, for it me, does drive a little wonky, but... Yeah, but, you know, what did we get instead? Instead, we got the M44 Hammerhead, a floating tank made of tissue-thin armor. What the hell is that? I, <laughs> I personally don't consider that an upgrade at all, but that's, that's one of the other... I mean, you know, tomato, tomato. Yeah, I know that some people do like the um, the M44 Hammerhead, and to those of you who do, I ask you to get better taste. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm We're going to get all the I'm, letters now. I'm a Mako enjoyer, uh, thoroughly, and I'll die on that hill, I think. Uh, but of all of the areas of the ship that were previously there, they feel larger. And Cerberus also made some ergonomic upgrades that I mentioned before the break uh, that improved comfortability and livability. The kitchen and improved med bay come to mind, uh, as well as Joker mentioning the new leather seats. Can't find that level of ergonomic mm. uh, furniture in an, an alliance defense uh, you know, vessel. So it makes sense since they're private and not beholden to taxpayer budgets. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, nice amenities. Yeah. It was ironic about this is that it was designed by Cerberus and the elusive man has a terrible chair. He spends all his 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 money and his his <laughs> his thoughts and tears and and uh all on seats for everyone else. I mean, not for him. That's the other mod I want is a mod that takes out that f stupid looking hard bench that he sits on, whatever that thing is, and replaces it with like one of those really high back leather chairs that you would like sit in with a smoking jacket in your den is brown <laughs> got a, with it, little it buttons. Wouldn't, wouldn't make much sense, but he really does need a fireplace in that in that. Uh, yes. A, a little carpet on the ground, a comfy leather chair kicks his feet up with like a little manufactured fireplace just next to him <laughs> i want i want that mod yeah uh here's the elusive man as everyone's favorite dad <laughs> yeah yeah like uh, like your grandfather's like smoking room his yeah. his den or library or whatever he calls it <laughs> the um there are some other cool quality of life upgrades in the SR2, and and one of those is the captain's quarters. This is this one is probably my favorite uh, jump from from SR1 to SR2. It's because who doesn't really like having their own room in space? Uh, yeah, room in space, even space I room, mean, literally. Yeah, uh, especially with the semi customizable parts like the fish tank. The fish the tank's the, the best desk. part. Yes, who else is going to kill my fish except for me? Right, right. And then the little models that you display? Yes, the model ships. Mm -hmm. um, I was, you know, at the time when this game came out, having small customizable areas in the game that truly felt like yours, that was a new thing. And it was also very limited. Like, yes. if this came out today, you'd be able to change, like, the color of the walls, the type of furniture, where you put the bed, where you put the fish tank, you know, like all of that stuff. You'd and this has so much. This has like like a few little things here and there you can customize, but otherwise is exactly the same as anybody else's. Yeah. And maybe we've become spoiled or something. I don't know. <laughs> I think we have. Um, <laughs> Too much Animal Crossing. That's what it is. Yes. 
let's blame Animal Crossing. Yes, it's all it's all <laughs> Animal Crossing's fault. Tom Nook. They don't, they don't get nearly enough blame. Um, <laughs> I mean, I mean, though, from a from a gameplay perspective, the SR one it did kind of feel weird because it didn't feel like there was anyone anywhere for anyone to sleep. There is that. Let alone the captain. I mean, yeah. there was like, there was like this small room technically that's not used for literally anything at all in the game, uh, except for supposedly being the captain's quarters. Is that like your um, head cannon? Is that like, you just kind of, everybody squeezed in that room all at the same time. It was everyone took 20 minute shifts of sleeping. Oh, okay. So I'm thinking it's like a dog pile. Like like you have when you have a bunch of like puppies and they all snuggle like, like puzzle piece together, you know? Like on the floor. Yeah. It's yeah. like that. There was so there were there were the sleeper pods, you know. Um so I don't want to get things confused. There were the sleeper pods and I understand that that's, you know, where people were supposed to sleep or or something like that. Um and I'm sure the codex explained it better than I am right now. Um, but for the captains, for the for the purpose of the captain's quarters, that room was so dreary and it just did not feel like enough. It felt more like a jail cell <laughs> than it did a captain's room. Yeah. Um, and I think we're lying to ourselves if if we're saying that we didn't want something lavish and and awesome for the commander you know what i mean mm -hmm. um so that was a welcome upgrade in my opinion uh in the sr2 and then speaking of where people would sleep in the sr2 it's much more easily accessible the crew quarters uh, and you can also overhear a lot of unique dialogue between the crew members of the of the sr2 uh in there sometimes talking about their families and and the colonies and things uh places being hit by the reapers or not the reapers uh the collectors um, there's also the life support room where Thane likes to hang out yeah. <laughs> because of its climate. Right. Um, right. And a lot of, lot of people's favorite romance, uh, lines delivered in that room. Uh, <laughs> right. I and then Jack under the stairs to... or what? yeah, Jack being under the stairs. Yeah. I always thought that was a little weird. Um, yeah, it's like everybody found their part of the ship that made the most sense for them. But yeah, yeah. Thane got that funny, weird room that was. It was like, okay, that's weird. He hangs out in here, but whatever. Okay. That's just the swamp monster. He hangs out on life support room. <laughs> I guess that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. If his eyes gloss over, he's just remembering things from his life in vivid detail. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if I explained this game to a lot of people who don't play video games, uh, I think they would probably ask if I'm seeing a counselor. Uh, <laughs> this is counseling. That's what you this need is to, counseling, you need to look yeah. them dead in the eyes and go, this is my counseling. Yeah. You need to get <laughs> with it or get lost. Why aren't uh, you playing these games? Maybe you need counseling. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Valid counterpoint. <laughs> yeah. Always Point turn it around on them. <laughs> That's my motto. <laughs> That's, just turn it around on anyone. <laughs> Why um, were you driving so poorly? Why were you driving so poorly? I'm the police officer here, <laughs> sir. <laughs> I was chasing you. <laughs> yeah. Um, anywho, uh, there, there's also the port and starboard observation rooms, uh, which are pretty cool. You know, I think for me, the the observation room where Samara takes up residence is amazing. Yeah, I mean that should be like the captain's room, right? Yes. <laughs> like, what the heck is with that? It's a huge glass window looking out into the void of space. It's so awesome. Right. Like, right. And yeah, then and then the captain's room feels like a little closet on the top floor compared to that thing. Yeah. Yeah, it gets a little tiny skylight in the yeah. in the very right above his bed, so you can gaze out just to know. Just enough to know that you are trapped in a metal vessel flying through the void of space. Right, right. Um, but uh, there's also a bar in one of the observation rooms, one of those sides, uh, which I thought, you know, when I was researching this and doing the notes for this show, I was like, there's no way in hell there would ever be a bar on an Alliance-made ship. Oh, yeah, totally. But, but in Star Trek, they get bars. Oh, do they really? Yeah. I don't watch. I didn't watch Star Trek that much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the uh, the Enterprise, there's like a whole restaurant and bar, and people go to the bar after after they're done their shifts and they have drinks and hang out with each other. It's totally a thing. That sounds a lot better. 
uh, yeah, there was nowhere for the staff uh, and personnel on the SR-1 to kick back and relax. Um, but the there's also the expanded armory in the SR-2. It's given its own room on the second floor and has, a, has what you'd expect, a lot more guns. Uh, a lot more guns, certainly, than what Ashley had to work with, which was weird because she was technically the armor uh, specialist there. Um, along with that is Morden's research lab, which both additions the research lab and the expanded armory, they really help the SR2 feel more like a fully self-sufficient mobile headquarters. Right. Yeah. And you could go into each of the rooms in order to address certain things on each mission that made more sense to talk about in a research lab or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Um, the only thing that apparently shrunk is the cargo hold because the cargo hold, it really only has like two areas with Zaid and grunts rooms. Uh, and there's a wide cut out of it that overlooks the hangar bay where the shuttle is stored. So the, the cargo hold has seemingly shrunk. Uh, but then there's the hangar bay below that, which is used for utilitarian purposes. Uh, and of course, the room where all the calibrations happen, the main battery, uh, that's where Garrus tells us all the time that he's too busy to flirt with us. Right. Yeah. He's always uh, too busy and rejecting us. What, what's he even doing in there? He tells us he's calibrating the Normandy's main cannons. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that's what he tells us. Yeah, that uh, sounds if, like code for something. If he's be- if he is to be, be believed, um, you know, this might actually be true, though, because the SR2 has some serious firepower upgrades over the previous one. Um, and now we're getting to the part that I think everyone was waiting and wanting to hear about uh, the defensive systems of the Normandy. Mm-hmm. Well, Cerberus adds Javelin Disruptor Torpedoes to the Normandy's arsenal, which use dark energy and mass effect field warheads to literally shred targets apart. Uh, they are powerful enough to destroy collectors, cruisers on multiple volleys. And according to the Codex, uh, the way that Disruptor Torpedoes work, not just da- Javelin ones, but the way that all Disruptor Torpedoes work, is that they use this mass-increasing field while in flight, making them too massive for any enemy com- for enemy kin- kinetic barriers to repulse. Uh, the extra mass gives the torpedoes a very sluggish acceleration, though, and it makes them easy prey for defensive guardian weapons, uh, lasers. As a result, torpedoes have to be launched at very close range. So it's like so, the equivalent of throwing something, the weight of the moon, but in a very like compact shape yes yeah so, yeah so, which is crazy to think about because that would just punch right through anything like a cannonball that weighs like a million tons right right yeah. right yeah um and firing it extremely hard but because it weighs so much it takes know, a lot of to slow. accelerate it yeah um uh and you know as if that wasn't badass enough uh to rip through someone's shields and then heavily and damage and shred the target apart because you've created this mass effect field that (laughs) just the physics behind it are awesome but if that wasn't bad enough if you install garris's proposed upgrade the normandy gets a turian made cannon uh, that is literally a miniaturized version of sovereign's main gun okay this is crazy yeah, yeah, right? That's pretty boss. Yeah. Um, the mini It's a mini Reaper gun on the Normandy. Uh-huh. I didn't realize this until I really dug in and, and looked at the, the uh, description of the Thanix cannon. But here's what the Codex tells us about the cannon. Turian volunteers were helping clean up the debris after Sovereign attacked the Citadel. But they were not just volunteers. They were secretly working with the Office of Technological Reconnaissance. And they were salvaging the main weapon of Sovereign and its massive Ezo core. Here's something I didn't realize before that the game tells us in the same breath. Sovereign's laser is no energy beam at all. It's massive element zero core powered an electromagnetic field suspending a a liquid iron uranium tungsten alloy that shaped into armor piercing projectiles when fired. The codex goes on to say the jet of molten metal accelerated to a fraction of the speed of light, destroys targets by impact force and irresistible heat. So not a laser beam. So it's like a thread of ultra heated metal yes. being shot at like 
almost light speed. Exactly. Yeah. It's wow. Like incredibly hot liquid metal propelled at a fraction of the speed of light. Yeah. Which is insane. Uh, that's and intense. It just rips through things. Right. That's why it yeah. looks like a laser, but it's not. Exactly. Yeah. And and so that 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 is the technology which the Thanix cannon is based off of. It's very similar to a small on a smaller scale. So less than a year after the Battle of the Citadel, the Normandy gets mm-hmm. a gun <laughs> that's probably more fitting of a cruiser than a frigate, although the Thanix can also be mounted on fighters. That's on fighter nuts. Jets. That's crazy. And it's like a Reaper gun. Yeah, that's nuts. So that it makes a lot more sense when if you if you also uh, upgraded the Thanix cannon on the Normandy, uh, I think most people did. Then in that final fight, you see that thing go off and it just rips through things. And you're like, this makes a lot more sense now. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. Um, another defensive system that's upgraded are the barriers. Cerberus doesn't really initially improve the Normandy SR1's existing kinetic barriers all that much, but Shepard can acquire blueprints from Tally for something called cyclonic barrier technology. Uh, and that sends its defensive capabilities into the next league. I just the have to cy- point this out in chat real, real quick before you move to the next sentence. Uh, Jay oh, yeah. Lani in chat says, fighter Gerber. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fighter fighter go more like deafening. Like, yeah. Or whatever if they that had sound the, is. The, yeah. the resources to equip enough fighters, maybe the 12,000 fighters that Ad, uh, Rear Admiral Mikhailovich said could have been made with oh. the Normandy's credits. If they had enough resources to equip all of those fighters with Thanix cannons, I don't think the Reapers would have been any problem. They would have stood a much better chance. Yeah. 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 Uh, Lots of tiny, powerful guns. Um, The Cyclonic Barrier Technology. uh, So basically, what is it? It's typical barriers have a hard time with disruptor torpedoes because like we mentioned, they add mass and they make the projectiles a huge kinetic energy blast which the barriers cannot just withstand a direct hit from. Uh, but the cyclonic barrier technology, it, uh, according to the codex, it violently slaps aside rather than halting incoming linear force. By rotationally firing their mass effect fields, uh, field projectors, ships create rapidly oscillating kinetic barriers instead of static ones. Hmm. Shooting through the CBT is like trying to shoot at a target inside of a spinning ball. Weird. Okay. Or, like if you were trying to poke my eyes, but I kept doing this with my hands. <laughs> like moving my right. hands back and forth in front of my face. So they were right. like slapping your hands away before they get to my head. It'd be a lot more effective than just keeping your hands stationary Still, right. over your eyes. Right. Because, yeah. yeah, like, I guess if you weren't using fingers, if you were using knives, the knives would eventually pierce through your, your hand and then get you in the eye. But if I move my hands back and forth, I might slap the knife out of your hands and then it doesn't I don't get stabbed at all. So very scientific, I know. Very scientific. That's some highbrow concepts that I'm not sure everyone's going to understand. Yeah, Um, you you definitely need to go to the Mass Effect YouTube page to see my wonderful physical representation of what I just talked about. Um. So it, it's um, it, you would think that, OK, well, if that cyclonic barrier technology got damaged in any way, that could probably throw mass effect fields in an irregular pattern rotating around the ship, which could cause a lot of problems. But I looked it up and apparently, according to the codex, if it does get damaged in that way, it, it has this safety shutoff mode where it defaults to normal uh, barrier. They thought about everything. They did. They really thought about everything. Yeah. Um, so, and of course, there's also the Asari developed Solaris armor for the ship that is, quote, unsurpassed in strength because its central material, which are carbon nanotube sheets woven with diamond chemical vapor depositions. No idea what that is, but it sounds cool as hell. Are crushed by mass effect fields into super dense layers able to withstand extreme temperatures it means uh it's they basically just manufacture bones that's carbon diamond bones the ship has a diamond bone carapace the 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 ship literally has a diamond 
skeleton. Yes. Like like Shepard can get the adamantium. Like an insect, basically. but like on the outside, right? Yeah. 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 And it's it's um it's it's kind of a I, I think the cyclonic barrier technology explanation is a little cooler uh than than what they have for the Solaris armor. Uh but they both do their jobs. And uh they're cool nonetheless. Now there are some other cool technological details that we didn't really have time to get into today. But we will get in give them in an episode eventually. In the meantime, if anyone is curious, I highly suggest they go into the ships and vehicles section of the codex because I think I could spend way too much time <laughs> reading that. Yeah, there's another hole to fall into. Exactly. That's awesome. So that's uh the SR2 in Mass Effect 2. Are we talking about the SR2 and Mass Effect 3 next time? Yes, we are. Yeah, because it's changed once again. So the next episode uh, that we're going to do is going to be talking all about how the Alliance came along in Mass Effect 3 and changed the ship once more. Awesome. Awesome. And we're going to do that in just a minute during the live recording of this two shows at the same time so don't go anywhere if you are listening on audio this episode will be up later so uh stay tuned for that um sam i know you got your streams you're doing awesome stuff with streaming lots of people popping in giving away things i know that you just did your big giveaway like we talked about at the beginning of the show you have anything else coming up you want to share yeah the, the giveaway just finished um and so i don't have another giveaway set for <laughs> you know right away not just yet but i am uh thinking of more fun ways to get the community involved uh, in the streams. And I am, of course, streaming three times a week. I have Mass Effect on Saturdays for Sassy Ship Saturdays. I have uh, Dragon Age now, my first Dragon Age playthrough mm -hmm. uh, on Thursdays. And I have uh, The Witcher. I'm going to start regularly streaming The Witcher on Mondays ahead of this show when we go live. Nice. Uh, when I have time. And if you'd like to catch any of my streams, you can follow me on Twitch at In7TheLegend. Awesome. Awesome. And you guys know where my stuff is, robotsradio.net for all of my shows, all the different lore casts that I do, all the other shows on the network. Um, and this week I'm, I'm going to talk up, you know, joining us on the Rocket Club. If you're looking at starting your own podcast or you have a podcast already, but you feel like you could be doing better. I've started and helped a lot of shows become very successful. I have over two million downloads across probably two and a half million downloads across the shows that I do. Um, so if you're looking for somebody to help guide you on how to do that, that's what we're there for. So robotsradio.net. And if you don't want to sign up for the Rock Club, you just want a book to read with a bunch of my advice in it, then there's a book you can get as well on the website. There's there's links to both of those things on robotsradio.net. So go check that stuff out. I love helping people out and seeing them succeed doing things that I love doing. I know how much I love doing this. And to have you guys there succeeding as well is is awesome. So go check that stuff out. We'll be back very soon and again if you're on the live stream stay tuned because we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back for the next episode see you guys next time thanks for tuning into the mass effect Lorecast. we'd love to hear your opinion and thoughts on the lore of mass effect reach out to us on twitter at mass effect cast or check out the robots radio discord also you can send us an email at mass effect at gmail.com What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.